0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Cloud Native Now podcast. I am Sharon Florentine. I am here again with Mike Vizard. and we are going to kick off this week talking about a great conversation that Mike had with Solomon Hikes. That is over on TechStrong TV. I'm going to ask you, Mike, to sum up that that conversation, and uh, then we can segue it into our conversation?
1: Yeah, well, Solomon and team have been trying to figure out a way to build um, or at least automate the building of pipelines that we use to construct applications in our CICD platforms. And it's been something people have been trying to do for a while. And there's merit to the case, but It was just interesting to listen to him talk about there is no silver bullet for creating a DevOps platform. And even he was saying there's always going to be work involved here. I mean, organizations got to go in there and define these pipelines. I think what we're saying is Dagger makes it simpler to build those pipelines, but I don't see it as some kind of magic thing. And I'm not even sure, you know, there was a lot of hype because he was involved that people were saying this is going to be the greatest thing since Docker. Right. I think it's just another tool in the case that we can pull out as needed. But um, even he is kind of basically saying, yeah, you know, we're doing something and it's cool and it adds value, but I don't think he's standing up there going, this is, you know, Docker 2.0, as it were.
0: Right. And so a couple years ago when he uh when Dagger first kind of blew onto the scene, it it we actually published a piece on DevOps.com talking about how it was Dagger was going to be the holy grail of standardizing CI CD pipelines. And uh obviously, you know, it seems like that has not come to pass based on what what we know and what we've seen over the last two years, um, and it it also seems like a lot of that, like you said, may have been driven just by his well known celebrity in the in the industry as you know former Docker, and uh, so maybe he was playing on playing on that a little bit. But uh, it it is still still interesting to see that that this is still still an issue.
1: Well, I think we're still looking for the original holy grail. So that tells you something about the probability assessment of that being the holy grail for anything. Um, I think what he's pointing at is that it's getting more complex to build the pipelines in the age of microservices and containers because the containers come and go. And there's a lot more microservices and APIs and a lot more calls being made. So we need a higher level of abstraction. And that's true, but it's only one piece of the puzzle. So uh, calling something, you know, the magic holy grail, silver bullet, pick your <laughs> buzzword choice there as you see fit, um, it's a disservice to, you know, the people who are building this stuff. They know better. And, right. You know, they have experience in this space. So I think, you know, we're getting realistic and it's maybe high time where, we uh, even with docker i mean that was supposed to solve all our portability issues but doesn't really work so well when you move from linux to windows and um, there's still a lot of issues with you know now we got more container types than ever and we're trying to run these things on different platforms and so the portability issue goes beyond just you know the software artifact itself so i just think we're getting a little more mature here about our use of hopefully hyperbole and, you know, <laughs> toning it down
0: I don't know. Uh, the hyperbole definitely seems to uh seems to appeal to some readers and viewers. so maybe we'll just tone it down <laughs> a
1: little bit
0: yeah. um,
1: um, go ahead.
0: I was gonna say speaking of Holy Grail uh portability, you know we we published a piece also this week that that you wrote reported on and wrote about uh diagrid's conductor enterprise and that is based on dapper which is a framework for running or deploying microservices on kubernetes clusters so i'm going to let you dive a little deeper into that and explain what that means to Whoa. the cloud native ecosystem here?
1: Well, this too, when it first came out, was a holy grail. So we had a lot of holy grails there for a while, but I think people are getting used to the notion here. Diagrid is basically saying that they will centrally manage your instances of this platform for essentially, you know, providing a framework for integrating the microservices themselves, so you don't have to constantly do that yourself. But there's winds up being a lot of these in runtime. So essentially, managing those things requires somebody who's going to do the updates and kind of take care of all the operational scut work that a lot of folks prefer not to do because, well, they want to write code. Right. Um, but
0: I it's think, not you know, the set it and forget it again that everybody kind of seems to want to move toward.
1: Yeah, I don't think there is a set it and forget it. I mean, basically there's a... Either set it and do it yourself or get somebody else to manage it kind of thing. Uh, But somebody's got to do the lift, right? At the end of the day, um, they may have come up with ways to automate it more, but um, it still needs to be deployed, updated, secured, and all those things don't ever go away just because something has been um, deemed to be the latest, coolest thing going.
0: Yeah, yeah and it it seems like um you know adoption has been pretty steady um they're claiming it's 10,000 developers now using it and that's so, that's not insignificant but
1: but if they assume that there are 50 million plus developers they got a long way to go
0: yeah indeed
1: uh, but, how many of them are running on kubernetes let's assume that there's 7 million of those you still got a long way to go.
0: Yeah. Yep. Right. Well, and since we're talking about yet another potential holy grail here, uh, you know, Trafic is uh, updating its API gateway to add support for Wasm, as well as OpenTelemetry and the Kubernetes gateway API. And so, if we're talking about holy grails, you can't not talk about WASM. And, uh, you know, that, that's supposed to solve the the portability issue, right? So, how does this?
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, WASM is coming along as something that is more portable that will run on the server side. I don't think it replaces containers as much as it um, allows certain classes of applications to become more portable because the code will run on both the client and the server side. And it's basically a format. Um, and you know, we'll have tools that will make that more accessible to folks. In this case, we're talking about you know, how to uh, invoke those modules using an API and, and, a, and accessing them through a gateway that's provided by Traffic Labs. I'll be honest, this whole space around application networking gives me a freaking headache. And
0: you and me both.
1: And 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 here's the thing about it. Is, so you know, most people, you know, you start out with a handful of APIs and you're kind of like, okay, I'm gonna use a proxy and um, they'll go get one of those. And you know, some are lighter weight than others, but people have been doing that forever day Um Then we get into this notion of API gateways, which are kind of like the next level of abstraction up. And they're typically built on some sort of proxy, and that becomes a little easier for people to manage. A lot of times, they'll either do that in an on-premise environment or they'll be up in the cloud. Trafic is trying to make a case for one integrated platform for all of that. But behind that is this, you know, whole service mesh concept which is also based on proxy software which is, you know, from my perspective, API management at an even higher level of scale and it's not clear to me how many APIs I have to have before I need a service mesh versus an API gateway but right. uh, I'm thinking, you know, you got to be into the hundreds to get a service mesh and we'll see how that goes and a lot of folks are going to be like Do I need a service mesh or do I need, you know, three API gateways? I couldn't tell you the answer, but um, I bet you one thing, one's a lot cheaper and a lot easier to deploy, even if you have three of them. So um, these are issues that go into people's thinking and decision-making. A lot of it comes from where you start, too. I think if you've got a platform engineering team and you're uh, putting together, you know, the end-all, be-all for programmable operations. Yeah, service mesh looks great. But who's in charge of that? Is it the networking team or is it the DevOps team? Nobody seems to know. On the other end of it, your average developer looks at all this stuff and says, you know, proxy software and maybe an API gateway I can wrap my head around. and Service mesh is a little scary. And some of them find Linkerd because it's an easier service mesh. But I think the default option is just to go with the animal you know in the zoo, and that seems to be the proxy software. And then, you know, and then I hope to have a scalability problem someday when I need an API gateway, and I hope that somebody else's problem.
0: Right, right. And then, you know, even if you decide that you need the networking team or developers or someone to manage all this, good luck finding them. Because then you're kind of stuck with whoever's already in your organization that maybe can get a crash course in how to do it, it seems like. You know, there's there's always that issue, even if you decide that someone else should be handling it. If they don't already work there, <laughs> good yeah. luck. I, I mean, know.
1: in theory, layers one through three should be run by the networking team because that's the underlay. Yep. Layers four through seven are increasingly becoming what is known as programmable application networking services, but the number of people who know how to manage that is low, <clears throat> and the number of networking people who are willing to give up control of layers four through seven are even lower. Yep. So there's yeah. kind of this you know, back and forth and a little tension in the system that has to get worked out before all this application networking stuff becomes, uh, shall we say, a de facto standard of some type or other.
0: All that being said, we keep talking about microservices and microservices and modernizing applications. And is there really an advantage between uh, between monoliths and microservices?
1: This is an ongoing conversation and, um, you know, I was talking to the CEO of Flagrant about this particular issue, uh, Jim Resnick. Um, And his point of view on it was, is that monoliths are better. And his view was, hey, um, they're easier to, for developers to wrap their arms around. There's not as many moving parts and um, it just gets too difficult to manage microservices at scale. Um, there's a lot of folks who started out building some sort of microservices application and rolled back to the monolith approach because they were like, we cannot wrap our heads around all this. And we don't have an engineering team the way Netflix does to put on every microservice. So um, it becomes you know, financially in, um, unwieldy, shall we say, to kind of do this at scale. I well,
0: think a yeah, lot of folks uh, have- <clears throat> Was it Amazon that was the the recent, you know, famous example of. Uh, is that who it was that that tried to do microservices for their streaming video and then it turned out to be such a headache that they rolled back?
1: Yeah, I think that, uh, you yeah, know, they tried to imitate the Netflix approach and, um, you know it's challenging and it's hard and I think that's why we don't see as many of these so-called cloud native applications just yet because we haven't figured out the tooling to make it easy and most developers are like where's my web framework that I just used to build a monolith and then they were like I want to go home and I'm done and (laughs) it's five o'clock and I got things to do um nobody I don't think they want to be on call for this microservices thing that they built 24 seven. And they're not, you know, they're like, I didn't sign up to be the guy with the beeper on my belt waiting for a call because somebody doesn't like something at four o'clock in the morning, which is inevitably when that will happen. Right. Um, So there's this whole notion that, you know, you wrote it, you own it. Well, I'm not seeing the bulk of developers sign up for this program. I think, you know, you can mandate it in certain companies if you started out that way from scratch, but um i'm suspicious of even the folks who say that that's what they're doing because i'm like well when do you sleep and who's going to own it when you're sleeping so there's a lot of little nuances here in this whole microservices thing i'm not saying we shouldn't do it but i think we got to think it through and sometimes you know i half joke a monolith is nothing more than just a big ass microservice and then i got a bunch of little microservices that wrapped around it that call stuff through apis and that's not a unreasonable approach to you figure out how you can carve more pieces of that monolith off into something that's a manageable set of microservices. But I think we got into a head about, you know, it was going to be one way or the other, and I got a feeling it's, as always with IT, a little bit of a mix of everything.
0: Yeah. Yep. I have a feeling that you're right. I
1: don't know, you know, when we're going to have this adult moment, but <laughs> I feel like um,
0: it's coming. I think it's coming very soon. <laughs> I feel like all of these factors are converging and is eventually they're going to crash into each other.
1: Yeah. And I just don't know where the source of this conversation comes from. I mean, is it the vendors who are out there like, you know, touting a particular platform? So therefore, this is the new hammer and everything must become a nail that fits that hammer. Or Because I'm not hearing the developers saying all this stuff. I mean, you know, if I go to a conference, I don't see somebody walking down the hallway with a T-shirt that says microservices are bust. Um, So I feel like developers are just trying to figure out what's the best path to write some code and get something done and, and, and meet a deadline. And, you know, maybe we've all gotten into this whole argument about this versus that, and they kind of probably go home at night and say, I don't know what those guys are talking about. I'm glad to know about this tool versus that tool, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, whichever one gets me home at six o'clock is the winner.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I
1: don't know. Um, you know, we have a uh, KubeCon coming up, which is in Paris this year. This is the KubeCon European event, and we're yep. gonna be there doing some video interviews live with folks. So if you're listening to this and you're going to be in the neighborhood. Come on by the booth and say hi. We'd love to chat and get some of your opinions and see what's going on. Otherwise, uh, Sharon, you got anything else you want to add?
0: I I don't. I think that is it for this week, folks. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again next time. Thanks so much for tuning in and have a great rest of your day.
1: All right. We'll see you guys. Bye.